Here at Doxedo Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Great stuff. Uh, I hope everyone enjoyed that and enjoyed just, uh, yes, great. Yay for fellowship. And guys, can we give such a hand to our crew this morning? Uh, the soup was still frozen when we got here, much to our surprise, and they blitzed to get it ready for us. And, uh, and I was surprised at how many people had soup this morning. So can we give them just a round of applause? Team, you're awesome. We love you. Uh, the best crew ever. Um, but guys, it's such an honor to be able to share in the word with you all this morning and to be able to share around week three of our psalm series, Peaks and Valleys. And I don't know if any of you have been going through the booklet or just been sharing um, through some of the psalms together, but the psalms are some of the richest and most incredible pieces of scripture you will find. Uh, I think there's no other book in the Bible that really encompasses all of human emotion and the highs and the lows of life like the Psalms do. And I know sometimes in my life when I need a bit of inspiration or when I need to just be given permission to vent a little bit and cry out and speak to the Lord about a situation, um, whatever state of mind I'm in, I find solace in the Psalms. So this morning, uh, we're going to actually be speaking about how to trust God, how to trust God. And really, as we speak about peaks and valleys, um, I think there's really something about being able to trust God, not only in the happy and great times, but also to be able to learn to trust God in the times that are not so great and the times that are really those, those real valley times of life. And I lucked out because I got to share around Psalm 23, probably one of the most well-known psalms in the history of all psalms, and that's the one that starts, The Lord is My Shepherd. So most of us know that psalm quite well. So that psalm can actually be divided into two parts that reveal to us something of the heart of Father God. And you'll see the first four verses or so speak about sheep and a shepherd. And the last two verses are more focused on God as our host, hosting a table for us in the midst of our enemies. So can you all do me a favor and turn to Psalm 23 together? Some of you can read it on the screen. If your eyesight is good, um, you can just read it there, but also it might be great to just go there in the Word. I believe there's something powerful that happens when we open our Bibles and when we delve into the Word together. But let's read that together. And while I'm reading it, I want you to actually just take a moment. Can we all just take a very deep breath and breathe out a little bit of uh, maybe some of the years crazy? And just center ourselves a little bit. And I want you to become aware of what's happening in your spirit as I read the following scripture for us. Um, and I want you to think about, are there parts that really at this time of year you really resonate with when you hear these words? And are there parts that maybe you're struggling to reconcile a little bit with all that has happened this year? Maybe the year has been a bit crazy, and, and as I read this, I just want you to be aware of what's happening inside of you as you hear these words. So let's read that together. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, 
I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Guys, I don't know about you, but those words resonate deeply with me. There's something about just this picture of God just being the loving and good shepherd to us. God creating a table for us in the presence of our enemies. God being with us in the times of high and low in life. That, that this scripture speaks to me so deeply in. Now, to some of you, this idea of shepherd and sheep is a foreign one. And it's because, I don't know about you, but especially here in Gauteng, it's not like we see a shepherd on every corner of every street, and we don't see a lot of sheep, maybe in the butchery, but nowhere else. So, uh, sorry for the vegans or vegetarians among us, Uh, I apologize profusely. But really, in David's time, everyone had a frame of reference to be able to understand what the psalm was really about. They, they could understand this idea and what it looks like when a good shepherd looks after his sheep. And for us today, some of those nuances are a little bit lost. But really, I went to my good friend Google, and I tried to find out which countries are prevalently still um, in this shepherd-sheep culture. So, so where does it still happen? That you get shepherds with lots of sheep, and I'm not talking about like a farm sort of lifestyle. I'm talking about really rural, on a mountain, shepherd-sheep. And while I was searching for that, I came across the following story. And I apologize again for those of you who are sensitive viewers, but uh, 1,500 animals, mostly sheep, jump off a cliff in eastern Turkey The shepherds were out to lunch. So the reason I share this story is because really, I I looked it up in 2015, I think it was. Um, In eastern Turkey, one sheep decided that he wanted to try and jump to an opposite cliff over this expanse. And once he jumped over, every sheep behind him decided they wanted to jump over as well. So the reason I share this story with you is because it reveals a little bit of a sheep's uh, mental state, their mentality, uh, how wise a sheep can be, and, uh, and they're not the cleverest of animals. So essentially what happened is one sheep went over, and the other 400 sheep in that flock went over with him, and then the other 1,100 animals that were also on that cliff went over as well. But luckily, they survived because there was a nice, soft, sheepy um, space at the bottom. Now, you can imagine uh, when they did some investigation, uh, they actually found out that every single shepherd that was responsible for this 1,500 animal flock had gone to lunch together and left no one behind to watch the sheep and to keep them from doing something so foolhardy. Um, Now, 
the reason I share this is because we've just come out of a place of reading Psalm 23 and reading about what a good shepherd does, and we're going to unpack that a little bit. But really, here you have this opposite picture of what it looks like when you have a foolhardy shepherd, and it gives us a very good picture of what a sheep really is like. So I'm sorry for the more sensitive viewers as I shared this story, um, but really I need to share it because I want us to have a bit of a basis of comparison. Because all of us, I'm sure, have at times looked to our shepherd and gone, God, are you out to lunch? Are you seeing what is going on in my life right now? Where are you? I think we can all relate to those moments of being a sheep, we're feeling lost, um, and we have no idea how we're going to find our way out of the situation that we're in. For Maya and I, uh, our journey of real trust started about an hour, in, uh, an hour <laughs> into our marriage. No, it's not that hectic. Um, sorry, I'm revealing things. I'm so sorry, my wife. No, um, no. Uh, our journey started about a year into our marriage. And we were involved in a church that is literally just up the road from here. And... Uh, things weren't going well, and we were praying, and we're saying, God, you know what, what do we do? And we clearly both heard him, and other people even confirmed the word for us, you guys can step out. You guys can resign. And we gave the church a year's notice of our resignation, because God was very clear about timeline, and we stepped out, and we quit. And, uh, and we were stepping out, and People sometimes tell you, whenever you get a weird word like that, don't just step out unless you're stepping into something. Ironically, we were stepping into nothing. We were just taking a step of faith, and we stepped out. And friends, let me tell you that for that next year after we had stepped out, we were both unemployed for most of that year. This was a faith thing. We were doing the right thing. We were doing the thing we felt God saying we should do, and we stepped out And we stepped out, and we were in this moment of, God, you told us to step out. We were being faithful. What have we missed? And things just felt so untethered. And for a year, our stuff was in storage, and we were staying with friends and family. And you must know, this was our second year of marriage. (laughs) And it was just incredible. And I say incredible because there have often been times when we've looked at each other since, and we've gone, guys, I would not trade that year of our lives for anything. Because what it taught me about what it means to rely on Father God, what it is we need to survive and to live, how to work with finances, especially when you have none, um, and just the kindness of people and God as provider was just next level. And I think there's something to be said about those seasons when you have to trust God for everything, because there's no other option. And that was that season for us. It was the season of, you know, God, I, I, I don't know what we're going to do, but we trust you. We trust you. We trust you for our provision. We trust you for your kindness. We trust you for every next step we've got to take. And it really was the craziest thing, but what it taught us most of all is that God never leaves us or forsakes us in any season of our lives. And there were moments, especially in those first couple of months, where we were just like, God, where are you? 
we can't see you, Father. We don't understand how we did this thing, and now suddenly we find ourselves here in this place. And I, I remember standing in church, and I was in Doxedale, Brooklyn, just, uh, okay, sense of direction. Someone point me in that there. Okay, I have a terrible sense of direction. But we were standing in Doxedale, Brooklyn, and I had tears streaming down my face in that season. Because I had sent out over 200 CVs and I had not even gotten a reply. Not even an email back to say, no, sorry, we're not interested. And I was standing there in that season and I remember standing in a worship service and I'd stretched my hand to the heavens. And in the midst of just having these tears streaming down my face, I, I just kept declaring to God, God, I know you are good and I will continue to trust you No matter what comes next, no matter how long this lasts, I will continue to trust you. And yes, God came through for both Maya and I. Um, And after that year, and within that year, we started our own business, and there were all these things that unrolled and happened. And, And as I say, we look back on that season as an incredible season of relationship with God. But the thing was, God came through for both of us in ways neither of us wanted or expected, but it was infinitely better than anything we could have done ourselves and figured out for ourselves. We both today are living out the fruits of that season, and we could never foresee what God was going to do in our lives. But there was this beautiful thing that the good shepherd had for us, So I want us to unpack this scripture a little bit in light of those two stories. The story of crazy 1,500 animals doing the lemming jump off a cliff and our story. Um, Just this reality of having to wait on God as good shepherd. So you guys will see uh, the first scripture that we have there. In that first verse, David declares, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Isn't that a beautiful little sheepy in his shepherd's arms? But what I want us to notice about just that one phrase is it's not the Lord is a shepherd. It's not the Lord is our shepherd. It is really a verse that speaks to possession. I am my beloved's and he is mine. There's something beautiful that happens when we realize God is not this distant father or this over there far away shepherd. He is so intimately involved with every aspect of our lives. It speaks to care. It speaks to relationship. And, and really, guys, we've seen from the story I just read, sheep are not the brightest creatures in the world. The new story I shared earlier revealed that sheep are dumb, and they're selfish, and they're foolish, and they have this mob mentality where if one jumps off a cliff, we're all jumping off a cliff. Uh, sounds like corona season, doesn't it? And, um, and really, they are bound to their fears and bound to their timidity. They're not going to step out, and they're not going to do anything untoward on their own. And all in all, they are helpless creatures who are bound to die without a shepherd. Now, I don't know about you, but when I say that, it sounds very familiar to me, and I'm not talking about sheep. Left to our own devices, we end up covered in ticks, lost, hungry, confused, with crazy hair, and unable to navigate our way out of the messes that we find ourselves in. 
The verse goes on to say something else in that first verse. It says, I shall not want. Now, let me clear something up for you. Um, For some people, they think this verse means, I shall not want the Lord as my shepherd. No, it means I shall want for nothing. It means that all of our needs will be provided. We will be cared for. Everything we need, please note, not want, everything we need will be provided by our shepherd. And why? Because a good shepherd meets the needs of their sheep. I go down some interesting rabbit holes uh, when I am sermonizing, and unfortunately you will see on my Google history a remarkable number of searches about sheep uh, at the moment, and I can only wonder what Google's going to throw at me over the next few weeks because I have Googled a lot of sheep things. Um, But I started wondering, what does an uncared sheep look like? I want you to meet Chris. Okay, that is Chris on the left. That is Chris in the middle. That is what was removed from Chris on the right. Chris is a Merino ram who gained international fame in 2015. Some of you might have seen the article for being the fleeciest sheep known to man thus far. Now, Chris was found at Mulligan's Flat near the border of New South Wales, and his mobility had been impaired as a result of this fleece that he had grown over a period of about five years. You see, merino rams are not bred to shed their fleece on their own. They're bred to produce wool, and this poor ram managed to get away from his flock, and he existed for five years in the wild on his own, And that fleece that you see there weighed 42 kilograms, 42 kilograms of wool that this poor domestic sheep had gained. And and really, they uh, caught him, they brought him in, and they got one of the most world-renowned shearers to come and shave poor Chris. And guys, you can imagine what it must have been like for this sheep. It's like he got a new lease on life when they removed those 42 kilograms. Incidentally, and only in Australia will this happen, and maybe some parts of South Africa, that fleece is in a museum where people can still go see it today. Um, But really, Chris had to be sedated for the procedure. They removed it. It took 42 minutes to give the sheep a new lease on life. But the reason I show you this picture is because that is what happens to us when we become sheep apart from our shepherd. We start to take on things we were never meant to take on. We start to carry extra burdens and extra weight that we were never meant to carry on our own. When it says, I shall not want, it's not just speaking about our physical needs. It speaks about what is going on in your heart and in your life right now that you need a shepherd to come and help fix and step into and just journey with you out of this place. And maybe for some of us, 2020 has been a really crazy year and we're carrying 42 kilograms of extra fleece we should not be carrying at the moment. And God wants to come and he just wants to shear that right off of us and take it off and, and just lighten the load of the emotional and psychological mess that we maybe carry with us after a really hard year. So some of you who know Maya and I well would know that we've been trying for kids for seven years now. 
we've battled through infertility and we are now on the adoption list, so you guys need to be praying. But we're hoping in the new year that that child that God has intended for us will find their way home and will find their way into our home. And we're very excited for that. But I'm not going to lie and say that it hasn't been an incredibly difficult and painful journey for us. There have been moments where we struggle to reconcile everything with what we know, because we know we have no problem believing God is a good father, and he is excellent, and he cares for us in every way. But sometimes even we find ourselves in that place where we're going, God, you're a good father, so why? Why have you taken us down this road where we can't have kids of our own? And we don't for a second believe that God has caused our infertility. But I think one thing we've learned in these seven years and through the season of struggle and IVFs and crazy things is just that realization that God is going to use this season, and he has used it, to build our character, to build our witness. But we also know that God is going to fulfill our legitimate desire for a child in a different way. And that's going to happen through adoption because we believe that's who our father is. We believe he is a good father who cares for his children. Verse 2 in our Psalm 23 scripture carries on and it says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Don't you love that picture of just these still waters? I would love to be sitting next to a little dam somewhere right now next to a stream, and just experiencing a little bit of that. But really, what I want us to, to just take from this scripture that makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside still waters, is we have a shepherd that loves to care for his sheep. He loves to care for us. Let me ask you a question, and I want to ask you a question and see who can give me a good answer. When do sheep lie down? When do sheep lie down? Try and put yourself in the mind of a sheep. When are you going to go lie down in a green pasture? Anyone? When you? Tired. Someone said when you're safe. No? Anyone? Safe. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, when when you feel safe and your belly is full... That is when you go lie down. And it's very much like a human being, isn't it? This is like Christmas lunch coming home to roost. We all know how it is to to have that little bit more than we should have had at Christmas lunch. And then there's nothing lacquer or or more lacquer than a lacquer. I can't believe I just said that. But nothing better than an afternoon nap after you've had a really good Christmas lunch. So when do sheep lie down? When they feel safe and their bellies are full, when their needs are met. And guys, what I want us to realize about this statement of needs are met, lie down in green pastures, is it is both a present and a future reality. It's a present and a future reality. It means that I know that what I have now is enough, and I know what I will have tomorrow is enough. There's some of us that cannot rest at the moment. There's some of us that cannot go rest by green pastures or by the waters because we're too busy stressing about what tomorrow may bring. We don't even know what tomorrow will bring, but we're already stressing about either not having enough or there's going to be problems 
or this might happen. I've seen so many memes that show people scared to open the door to 2021 because maybe it contains murderous hornets that spread malaria or, or some odd situation. But it's funny how really when we're reading the scripture, it speaks about a father that both gives us peace and provides for us today and tomorrow. And there's something that happens in our minds when we make the shift to realizing God is not absent. God is not going to jump ship the minute we hit 2021. He is a good shepherd. He wants to give us rest beside still waters and in green pastures. Really, there's something that happens. If some of us find ourselves in that space, I want to challenge you this morning to start holding on to the promises of God. Because when we read Scripture, not only Psalm 23, but a number of Scriptures, God is speaking about His faithfulness, and He's speaking about where He is in our times of trial. And really, trusting God for today and tomorrow means we hold on to those promises for dear life, even when you've been waiting seven years without relief. So, God is in the waiting. He does not abandon his sheep. But at the same time, there's, there's a mutual relationship there. Because as much as God's not going to abandon us, there's an important thing that we as his sheep must not abandon him when things get tough. And I don't know about you, but, but there have been times in my life when things get tough, and then suddenly I don't feel like I want to go to church or pick up my Bible or spend time in prayer. And I don't know if it's just part of me whipping myself at God, which is a pretty pointless exercise, folks. But, but I don't know if it's just part of me that's sort of like, God, I just don't want to talk to you right now because I just don't get this situation. But there's something about making up your mind that no matter how tough things might get along the journey, I am not going to let go of God no matter what. There's something about making that decision before the trial comes that makes it easier within the trial to stay connected to God. Now, when we speak about trust, and uh, and this word trust, it brought to mind for me Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 6. And many of you know this scripture, but it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know Him, and He will make your paths straight. Know Him, and He will make your paths straight. So I looked up that word trust that exists in the scripture, and it's the Hebrew word betach. Can everyone say betach? Very good. You need that guttural sort of, it sounds like Klingon, but it's not. But, um, but yes, it's this guttural G that comes out there, and it literally means to cling to God to cling to God. This is sort of, have any of you ever had a toddler attached to your leg and they won't let go? It's that sort of, I am clinging to God with everything because I know He is my everything. Now, the thing about clinging, guys, is um, I can't cling to this leg and cling to something else at the same time. I can't cling to God for understanding, for the way forward, for my everything, and also cling to my own understanding fully. Because then I've got one hand here, and I've got one hand here, and I'm trying to wrestle between my own understanding and what God is saying I should do, and where He's trying to direct me. 
And when we, when we hear this word cling, it's just so clear to me that, that often our own understanding and what God is going to ask us to do is not going to look the same because we don't have his understanding of the situation that we face. So what the scripture just tells me again and again is we need to rely on God. We need to cling to him and we need to not let go no matter what life is doing, no matter what life is doing. You guys got a little bit of a preview a couple of seconds ago of my sense of direction when I said Brooklyn. Um, so, so this happens to me all the time. Um, I was driving around Waterkloof the other day. I don't know if anyone else's Google Maps has been wigging out on them lately, but my GPS gets lost all the time. I don't know if it's just my phone or Google Maps or me. Um, but I was driving around Waterkloof the other day, and unfortunately, I have the stinkiest sense of direction in the whole wide world. I can declare it. My wife can find her way in the middle of a place we've never been. I, unfortunately, am not that way inclined. And uh, that's why I rely on Google Maps for almost everything. It's got voice prompts already set up for almost every place I need to go. I am there. And uh, really, just as an aside, Maya was even telling me the other day, we lived in Ferry Glen for three years, and we're driving through there the other day, and I'm like, what street do I need to take again? And she looked at me with judgment in her eyes, and she said, you lived here for three years, and you don't know which street to take. And I'm like, yes, that's okay. All of you who are also directionally challenged, yeah, okay, only me, great. Um, But... I was in Watercliff the other morning. My phone could not find GPS signal. I could find no street signs, and I had no cell signal. So it was like the trifecta of, of lostness. And I decided that's no problem. I can find my way. My sense of direction will guide me. And after about 30 minutes of driving around the streets of Waterkloof, I was so monumentally lost, I had no clue if I was even still in Waterkloof. Um, or Waterkloof, or whatever you want to call it. But uh, so I'm, 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 I'm going, I'm relying on my own sef- sense of direction, and it was one of the biggest mistakes. And I drove around for 30 minutes, and suddenly, guys, you won't believe it, an angel of the Lord appeared. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but what did happen is my cell signal restored, and I was able to phone an angel, my beautiful wife, and she was able to Google from her computer and helped me navigate to where I needed to go while my phone was not working. And I needn't tell you that the language that I produced in that moment was not God honoring in any way, shape or form. I was so lost. I was so upset and I was so late for a Hatfield meeting. Sorry, Mo. Um, But really, I needed a GPS to help me find my way out of my trouble because I did not have the understanding in that moment to do that for myself. God is the one that can help position us. He's the one who knows where we are and where we need to get. And when I push him aside and I say, shepherd, I appreciate your help, but I'm going to try and sheep on my own. That's when problems come. Friends, we can try and reason our way through the seasons we can't understand, or we can choose to cling. Can everyone say cling? Cling to God with our everything and not let go. So how do we cling? We cling by holding on to his word. 
We cling through the power of the Holy Spirit, helping us through the tough seasons. And we cling by allowing Him to shear the disappointment of hard seasons off of us so that we don't have to carry that for a moment longer. And that's where this next verse comes in. Because the next verse says, He restores my soul and He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. So, Really, as you read this, maybe for some of you, you have been shying away from God because you hurt, or maybe something has happened where the outcome wasn't quite what you expected, or, or maybe as you sit here even today, you're hurting a little bit because things just haven't happened in your life the way you thought they should. And maybe if we're talking sheep metaphor, you're looking down at the same patch of grass you've been eating for a while, and it's just looking dry and dead and there's no green left for you to chew anymore. Scripture actually has a way of describing what some of you feel, and it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And sometimes when we've been hoping for something for such a long season and we haven't been getting it, sometimes there's something that goes wrong in here when it comes to trusting our shepherd. And really, God longs to come, friends, and restore your soul to restore your heart, to restore your trust in who he is as the good shepherd. All we need to do is look up. I, I just, while I was preparing my sermon, I just had this picture of a sheep, and maybe it's a prophetic word for some of us this morning, but this picture of a sheep that is looking down at the patch of grass that he's eating, and he's eaten that patch of grass bare, eaten all the provision, done what they can, and now all they're looking at is just this dead patch of grass. And maybe for some of us, that's all we see. We see our lack, or we see what we don't have, or we see what we don't have anymore. And God is calling us to just look up, look up from this dead patch of grass that we've been stuck at, and just look to Him as shepherd for guidance. Look to Him as shepherd to to just be able to hear his voice, to restore our soul, to lead us in the right paths, and really to come to a place of restoration and life and peace. But friends, if all we're looking at is our lack, and we're no longer looking at our shepherd, we are going to feel empty and tired in this season. A good shepherd adores seeing his sheep at rest, in restoring our joy and caring for us. And you know why that is? Because it brings him glory. And all we need to do to find ourselves in this place is simply to be sheep. I think it feels sometimes like there's this list of things we must do in order for God to be our shepherd and to give us rest. But really, all we need to do is come and be sheep to submit ourselves under him as shepherd. And there's incredible things that he will do and lead us through. So we're almost at the close, friends. But verse 4 here reads, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So you see those first three verses of the psalm spoke more to contentment in fairly peaceful circumstances, but the last few verses actually speaks about contentment in the valley times of our lives. And the first thing I see when I read this scripture is that really the shepherd is with me 
in the midst of my enemies and in that time of trial. He is with me when life gets hard. He is close. And not only that, he's prepared for the moments when they come. It's not like God sees what's happening to us or the hard moments or the valleys and he goes, oh dear, what now? He knows. He knows and he's there. And so much so that he is prepared with the right tools. And you'll see, I just put a picture up there for those of you who have never seen traditionally the rod and the staff that the shepherds carry. And really, the the beautiful thing about those two tools is the rod was used to fight off wild animals and to count the sheep and direct them. So you can imagine that in terms of the frame of reference of you as sheep, him as shepherd, us in trial. And really, God fighting off the wild animals, the enemies, to count the sheep, to direct them, and that the rod prodded the sheep during the day in the fields and at night in the sheepfold. And a willing sheep would respond to the prodding, but a stubborn, strong-willed sheep would not. And that is where the staff came into play. And you would see it's got that crook at the end of the staff, and that was so that he could hook the sheep and help them go in the way that they need to go. And maybe some of you are really willing and soft sheep that just always do whatever God is asking you to do. And maybe for some of us, we need a crook every now and then as God guides us lovingly to what we need to do. But really, when we put that into um, normal terms, what is the rod? What is the staff for us? It is God's Word, which guides and corrects us But make no mistake, when we are stubborn and willful and we willingly plunge headlong into situations God knows are not good for us, God is going to help us find our way again. Discipline is a sign of a good father. So the final scene that we have in this scripture is shifting a little bit from that picture of sheep and shepherd, but shifting to God as a gracious host. And if we look at that verse, uh, you'll see it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Friends, the beautiful thing that the Scripture reveals to me is that God cares for us. He nourishes us in our times of trial. He anoints us and He fills our cup to overflowing. God is not absent when we go through trouble. What this tells me is that we do not have to wait for our breakthrough to come in order to have peace, joy, rest, and contentment. And how many of us are in a time of trial, and we just believe, until this trial is over, I cannot have joy. I cannot have peace. I cannot have contentment. And here, what the Scripture shows me clearly is in the presence of my enemies. It's not like God has wiped out the enemies. It's not like they no longer exist. It's not like I'm no longer in trial. In the presence of my enemies... You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Goodness and mercy shall follow me. Can you comprehend that? Can you even think that? I know for me, often, there have been times when I'm just like 
God, just take this thing from me. Take the enemies away. Take the trial away. And here is a scripture that just flies in the face of all of that and says, you know what? No. In the midst of your hard time, I can still give you peace and joy and contentment and everything you need to be able to navigate what is a difficult season. In the middle of your lack, in the middle of your mess, in the middle of your trial. And really, Jesus knew a thing or two about what trial looked like, and he knew a thing or two about hard times, and it just brought me back to that piece in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before he was crucified, where Jesus just cries out to the shepherd. He cries out to Father God, and he goes, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And Jesus, the reason Jesus can minister to us in the midst of our trials, friends, is because he has known trial. He's known what it was to go through some of the most incredibly difficult things. And why? Because of his love that he had for us. He went to the cross willingly. Willingly he took that step. And John 10, verse 14 to 15, just closing, says the following. It says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. That's John 10, verse 14 to 15. And this is Jesus speaking about himself. And the reason, friends, Jesus can comfort us in the valley times of life, and the reason I can trust him to lead me and guide me is because he is the good shepherd, and he knows how to take a hopeless situation, the cross, and turn it into victory, and turn it into resurrection, and turn it into restoration, and turn it into revival. He knows how to bring beauty from ashes. I can trust him because he's willing to lay down his life for the sheep. He's willing to lay down his life for the sheep. So you guys will see in summary, how do we trust? Number one, we cling to God and his promises. No circumstance, nothing that happens can change the fact that we need to cling. Number two, we keep following the shepherd, even when all things seem lost, even when we don't agree with the direction the shepherd's taking us in, even when we think he's lost the plot, we do not change course. We keep trusting the shepherd. And finally, when all is looking dead and dry and everything looks just impossible in front of our eyes, we seek the shepherd, we seek his voice. Because that's what we sometimes need most in times of trial. Let's not separate ourselves from our shepherd. Let's draw near to him because scripture promises us if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. Amen? Amen. Amen. So let's pray, friends. Lord, we just thank you for your presence and your peace that is with us this morning. We thank you that you never leave us or forsake us. We thank you that you're a good shepherd and that you're at work in our lives, that you're at work in us. And I just want to pray for each person here this morning, God, that maybe, like Chris the sheep, is carrying so much more burden on them than they need to at this stage of their life. 
I want to pray, God, that you will start to share those things off of us as we enter just this season of rest and that we're just going to experience more of you, God, that we're going to experience you as shepherd that is lovingly guiding us and speaking to us and speaking into our situation and that we will be good sheep, that we will rest in you, Father, that we will rest by the waters and by the grasses that you have prepared for us. Thank you, God, for being the best shepherd. Thank you, God, for being the good shepherd. And thank you, God, for leading us in paths of righteousness. We pray this all, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.